Good morning. Ian Power back with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. Has the sunnier weather, warmer temperatures, blooming trees and blossoming flowers got you sneezing? Oh, wait, I think that's another show. But with all this extra sunlight comes the opportunity to see your place more clearly. And if painting is on your exterior's future, now is the time to start planning. We'll talk to an expert around 10.30 in about uh, less than half an hour from now. Sharon Gretsch will join us. And uh, we'll do some open line if you have DIY questions as well. Uh, If you need uh, professional advice, that's here for you as well. And as a follow-up to last week's show on our segment on plumbing, we received this message in addition to some others. Uh, This comes to us from Gary. He asks, if a plumber has to... I thought this was a good question, if I can preface it by saying that. If a plumber has to return to your home numerous times to complete the job, should you have to pay for each visit? In my case, the plumber could not get the sink to seal without leaking and subsequently had to return. A very good point, Gary. The coming back for to charge for a trip. So, so I'm, I'm I'm trying to read underline there. So, if it is a trip charge, if it's noted as a trip charge, a separate individual charge versus a cost for coming back to do something. Most contractors will have a an allowance for travel, but if you're getting that travel charge done and it's noted as a travel charge on your invoice, I'd want to know why that is there. So, for example, if the plumber provided the the materials, the fixtures, the basin, and it's not working, well, then I wouldn't expect to see a trip charge. But if there's something that they're renovating, maybe you've provided something or there just isn't, something's not quite right and they just can't get it to stop leaking then there may be another chance, a charge to come back. In other words, if it's not covered under a warranty, you may expect to, to see a charge. I've seen it happen where a plumber will attend and they come with the, usually they have a van or a truck and they're usually very well stocked, but occasionally they'll be missing a piece. Uh, it could be some kind of a valve or, or something. Right. And they have to go back. You wouldn't expect to, to pay a fee on that, would you? Uh, well, that could be uh, a travel time. So, for example, this service call, and using your example there, would be probably identified as a cost plus or a time and materials, in which case, yes, you have to pay for the plumber to go to their wholesaler and get it and bring it back. It, it, that, it's a tough thing to charge and to pay because, you know, are they stopping off at the Wendy's drive through along the way and having their lunch you don't know about? It is totally a trust thing. Uh, most of them are very well equipped, but in, in a repair situation, renovation situation, they can't have everything. Plumbers, uh, they always get their hackles up when I when I bring this up. But why is it that plumbers, and I don't know of any other trades, tell me if I'm wrong, that, that charge a travel fee? Um, many do. Maybe it's not openly disclosed. Uh, yeah, I mean, plumbers do get the bad rap, but everybody does have a cost included to go to the job site. Uh, usually one way, some do two ways. Order a crane, you get charged from the time they leave the doorstep to the time they get back. So it's just, yeah, plumbers get the bad rap because they have to identify certain things and because the taxation is charged differently. But most of us don't get some kind of a tax write-off or a fee for going to work. Now, I understand that if you're in sales, for example, you might have some allowance, and I don't know how it works. I'm obviously not into th- into taxes, but you would get some kind of an allowance on your taxes to cover some of your transportation fees because part of your job is having to go from place to place to place. And I get all that. And, and that same courtesy should be extended to the trades that are going from job to job to job. 
but a uh, an out and out fee for travel. I guess it, I guess is their way of being transparent and not built into the into the regular fee. I don't know. Right. Well, it's, if you think of a plumber, for example, they may go to five houses and or homes in one day, and if they work at at uh, a half an hour at each house, they're only getting chargeable for a lesser amount of hours, but they're on the road. Uh, have have you hired a plumber lately? <laughs> yes. Half an, <laughs> half an hour is okay. Yes. Um, yeah, and I understand your point. And uh, as I say, it seems to it seems to be a sore point with some people. And if there's somebody who's in plumbing and wants to talk about it, uh, feel free. At CKNW, you can tweet or you can uh, text us at 604-280-9898. We'll also use that number for phone calls, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 if you're uh, mobile. Uh, so Andrew wrote, um, our house is five years old. For the past four or five months, we hear a vibrating noise soon after we turn the furnace on. This continues off and on for the next little while. We've recently had our furnace serviced, but of course the noise didn't happen when the furnace guy came. We also had our ensuite tub worked on because we had a problem with the overflow system. The noise seems to be coming from that general area or under the tub. We can hear it in our laundry room, which is directly below the tub. However, the noise preceded both the work on the tub and the furnace servicing. I even told the plumbers to keep a look for anything, possibly a pipe touching wood. They didn't report anything. I've, t- I've texted the noise to the furnace guy. He couldn't identify anything. I really don't know where to turn next. I just want the noise identified to find out if it's something that we can do something about. I'm hoping that you can point me in the right direction or someone who can. Uh, noises and smells have got to be the worst things to try to trace. I, I don't think it's to do with the plumbing of the bathtub for the, for the for the waste and overflow because that's only really used when the tub is full and then water runs down there. It's a trickle sound. It does sound more suspiciously like something to do with the furnace. Now, if that if that original furnace repair work involved changing the motor or removing the motor, pulling the motor system out, the blower motor out, and then putting it back in, there's a possibility that um, that it touched a piece of housing on there. If that work involves doing something, changing the motor, changing the fan, sometimes that can be touching a piece of metal there. Even I've even heard of... Uh, uh, where the motor and the fan assembly have been changed and the fan is a different pitch, or it's maybe uh, now the belt is tightened, it's moving faster, that air generation can cause some noise and just pick up a little bit of a different uh, uh, thrust as it goes through some ducts. So it might take a, another tech from the same company just to cover your warranty or another company to come by and have a look, but don't let them do any repair without authorization from the original company, just to protect your warranty. Good point. Thank you for that. And uh, I guess uh, if I'm to read between the lines, uh, the concern might be is whatever's making this noise going to cause me and or my family harm? It, it, well, I guess if it's rubbing and to the point where it's now going to start to cause resistance on the motor, for example, if it's causing the, uh, the motor to, Im- to work harder, it's possible. It could be a bearing noise. Something could hopefully just stop. And hopefully you're protected electrically by, by breakers and fuses and things like that. But uh, have it looked at anyways. It's a little different if you have a squeak in the floor. Right. You know, a squeak in the floor will drive some people absolutely around the bend. And others, they, you know, they think, well, this is just the character of my home. And they get used to it. Mm-hmm. And they either, you know, get used to it or they just ignore it. Some people will go to great lengths. They'll take ceilings apart so they can get underneath the floor yes. uh, to secure it better, what have you. But uh, when you have a noise coming from when you think it's your furnace and or your plumbing, you wonder, 
Is the pipe going to burst? Am I going to have some kind of, uh, perhaps with the furnace, will it cause a fire? Uh, you know, how do you get down to the bottom of it if you can't get answers right. from the professionals? Absolutely. That is, that, that's got to be, you're, you're right, if it's the plumbing or if it is uh, the mechanical stuff. Electricity, well, it's just going to shut off, hopefully, but you're right. It, it, it can be frustrating to, to no end. And to try to find out, and this poor fellow here, I mean, they had somebody come over and the sound didn't happen. How many times you take your car? <laughs> oh, it doesn't make that noise now. Well, great. But he he texted it. He recorded it and texted it. I like that. That's good. Uh, We're going to take a break. Uh, At the bottom of the hour, in about uh, 15 minutes, we'll talk about painting with an expert, uh, particularly for exterior painting. Uh, That's the season that we're coming up to. Next, it's uh, all about concrete. You have a cracked driveway, sidewalk. Do you have problems with your foundation? Is the cement lifting? We'll have some answers for you when we come back on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. My name is Ian Power. I'm here with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. Follow along on the Home Discovery Show Facebook page. We want to talk a little bit about concrete for sidewalks, skyscrapers, bridges, highways, houses, and so much more. And usually with a very long lifespan. So what specifically are we talking about, Steve, when we're talking about concrete? Concrete is, is very simply uh, an aggregate. It is uh, an aggregate, and that could be sand, it could be rock or stone, depending on the size of the aggregate. So that's the, um, that's the basic, of, uh, basic parts of it. And then a Portland cement, which is the part that holds it together, and then water. And uh, as uh, in the city, Portland. Uh, well, it it is uh, it is named. I, I honestly don't know if that would be where it was well, from. Same word. Same word. Okay. And uh, so, so the theory is is that the the water activates the cement. So people call cement and concrete. It is. It, it, they kind of call them the same thing. But cement is in concrete. Okay. And, so uh, no, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. glad you brought. I don't mean to interrupt you, but yep. I want to get that clarification. Concrete and cement are two different things. Right. Okay. Cement is in concrete. People will call a pallet a, and a skid. It's, it's just how it is done, when the process has changed. So cured or activated and then curing con- cement becomes concrete mm-hmm. and in there. Okay. So most of us have been on a sidewalk where, you know, and it usually seems to happen around, if, you, if you're in a single family home, for example, it seems to happen on the sidewalk around the house, Uh you know, where where you can see it's lifted in some spots. So usually at the join, you, you have some kind of a lift, mm-hmm. or it could be in the middle of a, of a slab where, where it's cracked and lifting. So my question is, why is that? And is there anything that can be done to repair that? Most of the time, slab movement, sidewalks or driveways is because of, well, usually it's the fault of, if we can point a finger, is, is improper soil preparation. So if a new house happens to be something cracks in there, it's because the ground wasn't prepared properly for what it is involved. In an older house, things can just all of a sudden settle and move. It could be some erosion. Often there is a uh, underlying problem with maybe perimeter drains. So they're blocked and, and plugged up and then soil starts to erode away. So now as soon as all that support goes, the concrete will fail and uh, and get cracks, hopefully along those lines, but uh, sometimes it doesn't. Well, oftentimes when you have a cracked driveway, and it seems that uh, every third one on my block has some kind of a problem, uh, is this something that has to do with settling, or is it, in fact, the, the original installation? I mean, what's more annoying than having your, 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 you know, taking your car up on your heaving and crumbling driveway so what role does settling have to play in this, or is it really an installation situation? Well, one in the both, in that if you 
if you can forecast the soil conditions, an engineer will give you a, a detail to say, this is what I want to see in there. And often it may just simply be four to eight inches of of compacted uh, aggregate sand. It could mean you want to go down deeper depending on where you are. The concrete itself may have to have a reinforcing bar in it, whether it's a bar or a mesh. And expansion joints uh, can be placed in there. Those are actually physical separations or they call them fracture lines or break joints where it's actually troweled in and hopefully that's where they'll break along there. It's kind of like the perforated edges on the cracker. And so a lot of it is about what is the minimum we need to do as far as what the code says? What does the engineer want? And then you can improve it from there if you want. Can you bring up an interesting point about the engineer? And I know with a lot of concrete structures, I mean, you think about bridges, of course they would use an engineer uh, when your house is built. What about do-it-yourself? If I want to take out my concrete driveway, for example, can I uh, replace it myself or will I have to call on an engineer to get drawings? And and the second part of that question is, do I need a permit? Uh, backwards first, no, you don't need a permit. Uh, you're not um, creating anything that's structural. A driveway is, for all intents and purposes, cosmetic. If you're going to be making it larger than the city may have something to say about it because now you're creating a hard surface. So you have to make consider water runoff and drainage. So your neighbor can get real cranky with you. All of a sudden you've now paved your whole front yard and now all your water is now going into the neighbor's yard. So there's some, there's some concerns about there. There is a typical uh, construction detail that, uh, that is available. Through, and, I mean, concrete suppliers will tell you what that is. And, and uh, you can do it yourself. The tricky thing with the concrete is... It's not so much the forming and the preparation, but it's the placing and finishing, as they call it. You need some special tools and a good eye. Well, there's a great deal of structural detail that goes into foundations and crawl spaces. Why is it so often that we hear about cracks, uh, honeycombing, or uh, you get that appearance of that efflorescence, that white powdery stuff that comes up through the concrete? No. I know enough that it's it's usually from moisture, but what about the cracks? And, And at what point should you become concerned, and are they repairable? There, the concern is, is, is absolutely valid. Uh, the settling is mostly what happens again through undermining of the of the soil beneath. There could be some additional stress put on a foundation, and, and it, it will give away. It will crack. Now, if that crack is something where you can, it, it's a cosmetic one, you can see both sides of it, and it's not allowing water to come in, that's typical. If you get a horizontal line, horizontal crack, that's a little bit more of a concern. You can't really see it. If you can see all the way through, well, then absolutely uh, raise your alarm bells and get somebody over to have a look at it. You can often see signs that there's something really seriously going on. If you start to see cracks in your drywall, all of a sudden your doors don't close. You've got windows that won't open. Your ceiling's got cracks in it. Then there's something really seriously going on. You need to call somebody. I get a headache just thinking about this, but an old house that I used to live in, uh, the retaining wall on the property was starting to give way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And I got, I got out of Dodge before I had to, to foot the bill on that one. But I'm told that... That can be a real problem and can be a real big expense to repair. Right, they can do. So a poured concrete wall is uh, is not unlike a foundation. It is has to be structurally uh, sound. There's, uh, there's reinforcement bars in there. It does have to be engineered because of the soil that's holding back. Uh, currently, right now, anything over a four-foot-high wall has to be engineered, and, in, and that includes a loose block installation. We see these individual blocks, and there there is a specific detail that has to go on there. Uh, those are those are a giant nuisance. If you start to see them give away, your best solution or best uh, hope is to get that soil removed from the opposite side and try to have a look at it. Generally speaking, for smaller jobs, like let's say a hairline crack in the sidewalk or in your foundation, 
Uh, is this something that you can do yourself, or do you, are you best in this situation to call in a professional? If, if it's a cosmetic repair, it's not it's not a crack where your house is sinking. Then you can do it yourself. The problem with a lot of repairs is they are cosmetically noticeable and unsightly. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Yeah. What about painting concrete? You can paint concrete. The challenge is, is the older it is, the harder it is to prepare the surface. Uh, painting, you know, we used to see that all the time in the basements. That we used to get porch and floor enamel paint, and that mm-hmm. stuck, uh, uh, you know, really, really well to the outside stairs of the basement floor. You can't get the enamel anymore now. They have an acrylic-based one. So that, that can be certainly done, but it's really a tough thing because of the preparation. You know, inevitably peel, you better have to go with a stain. Stain, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the stain will set right in, into the, the porous part of the concrete. Right, exactly. Okay. The other thing that's uh, become very popular over the past uh, several years is concrete, concrete flooring. Yes. So you've got exposed flooring, and, and there's a couple of different things that you can do with that. You can, certainly can. Um, um, there's, if you think of a high-rise downtown or condo downtown or the lofts, it's really popular now to do etching and design. So it's uh, this is, may not be something you want to do yourself. If you're uh, if if you're very very handy, you probably could. But it's better to call somebody. So there's lots of preparation involved. It's cleaning of the concrete. It's laying out your design. It is uh, setting up some sort of a pattern. There's even the ones where you could do. You could set up, for example, you have as if you're doing a tile floor. So you, it's all masked out, and you start to create the lines in there. And then it's an acid wash, wash which will create those lines. You can do overlays, whereas there's a lightweight concrete um, uh, poured over top of it and troweled in and finished, and then it's stained. And then there's a finish that's applied over top of it to protect it. So you can get all sorts of really neat designs. Uh, maybe if it's a corporate business office, you can get your logo put in the floor. It, it, it really, really smartens it up and makes it look like a tile floor where it's not, and you're not affecting the structure of the building. Unless you fall and slip and go boom. Then you don't want so much have a, a one of those fancy concrete right. floors. Exactly. A lot of people too will use them. Uh, I've seen it where you've got a, a concrete etching and then a border around it. Yes, could exactly. Either, it could be carpet, it could be tile, it could be any number of things. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that really does lend some design ability. Um, you know, the tile, the concrete will be maybe a slipping hazard. So maybe in traffic area, you want to have carpet. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What have we left out on concrete, just as a basic uh, understanding of what we're dealing with? Well, it's, it's, it's all about, if you're doing a repair on it, it is, it's all about the cleanliness. I mean, we think of painting, and, and, and the success of your paint job comes down to how well you're painting. Very much the same thing with concrete. It's all about getting out that loose debris. It's getting the right product in there. It's about uh, how, what's your expectation, what it's supposed to look like. And if it is a structural detail... You really got to get somebody in to have a look because it's easier for them to say that's not a big deal, or maybe you have to have an X-ray. But one of the running themes that seems to come up time after time after time is that preparation is so so important, and we're going to find out a little bit more about preparation not only when it comes to concrete but when it comes to the subject of painting. We've got an expert in painting and design and color coming up in just a moment. We'll talk to Sharon Gretsch when we come back. In the meantime, have a look and follow along on our Facebook page. Look for The Home Discovery Show on Facebook, and we'll come back in just a moment on The Home Discovery Show right here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power back with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor on The Home Discovery Show. A fresh coat of paint is a simple and cost-effective way to give the look of your home a real lift and increase its value. But choosing the right paint and the right color can oftentimes be overwhelming. 
So we called on an expert. Sharon Gretsch is a color and design expert for Benjamin Moore. Good morning, and thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. And yourself? Good. 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 You doing okay? Are you Are you under snow now? Well, we finally got snow. Finally. <laughs> Winter started a little bit late in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, better late than never, wah-wah. Uh, we've, uh, we've got flowers blooming, and uh, the, the cherry blossoms was like 12 or 13 degrees yesterday. Um, when, it, when it comes to painting outdoor surfaces made of wood or metal, brick, stucco, or concrete, um, there's so many that you can barely imagine. Uh, the, the results are well worth the effort. Uh, what, what's the key thing when it comes to, to painting outside? It, 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 I know you're going to say preparation, but what, what, what do we mean by that? Well, you know, I think that it's a matter of, of of really thoroughly cleaning and being honest about the condition that the materials are, are in, whether, it, again, whether it's stucco, whether it's wood, um, concrete, anything. You really want to make sure if there's any, any work that you have to do that paint isn't going to solve, you want to do that first because um, paint sort of goes on at the end and sort of beautifies it, but you want to make sure it's in good condition to start with. So if you really think about it honestly in that respect, you're good. And and cleaning, actually, I think on the exterior especially, I mean, I don't know too many people who really do clean their walls inside, myself included, before I paint. <laughs> <laughs> but let's be honest. But for the exterior, you just have so many other um, things to deal with out there. You've got salt. Well, at least here we have salt. You've got sap. You've got all sorts of things on the wood and, and just mildew. So it's really, really important to give everything a good clean. Um, and one of the things that Oh, there's lots of products out there, and Benjamin Moore has quite a few prep products that I think kind of go unnoticed, and those are really important, whether you're just cleaning off even plastic or wood furniture. You've got a cleaning product. You can actually go as far as brightening up the wood with one of these products, or and you can even remove um, existing stains or varnishes or you know finishes that are previous finishes that are on the wood. Um, if you want to get it down to to like a nice, clean, perfect surface to restain, so you want to at least at this time of the year, you want to start thinking about those things and planning for the projects that you're going to do. Well, I want to ask um, you uh, about that. When is the I? I mean, I, I was half joking, but spring definitely is in the air here on the west coast, and 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 we are planning because, as you say, preparation is so important, and part of that preparation is planning. What what's the ideal situation for uh, weather wise for exterior painting? Well, um, you guys are probably already there. It's it's 10 degrees is sort of the ideal um, that you can sort of start getting into a paint project. Now, when I say 10 degrees, you want it to sort of stay 10 degrees consistently over the course of the evening as well. Um, however, now with a lot of our um, high-end waterborne products like Aura or exterior paint um, or um, Arbor Coat stains, they're waterborne, and you can um, apply the product as low as 5 degrees. So if you're going to be working with one of those products, then you might have that flexibility. Maybe it's 10, 12, 13 during the day, but it's not getting less than five overnight while the product's curing, then, then, then you're okay. Um, and you can certainly start doing the, the cleaning. Um, if you're not expecting any more a big dumping of snow or anything, it might be Snow? What's that? <laughs> we got lots of snow on the mountains. There you go. I have a friend in Kelowna. She's got more than she ever had in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know how important yeah. it is to clean, uh, important yeah. to, to make sure that the surface is, is ready to, to take the paint. And we always want to recommend that you use a good quality paint. And I know you're going to say, because you, you're with Benjamin Moore, right. that you sell quality paints. But how, how does a consumer know whether they've got a quality paint or not? Because so much of what we do uh, is driven by our pocketbook. 
Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, well, I think it's a matter of looking at what, what you're doing. You know, if you're doing the exterior of your house, it's not something that you're going to be doing every year, um, possibly not every, even every five years if it's the exterior of your house. A deck, that sort of thing where it's taking a lot more abuse, you're going to be doing it more often anyway. <laughs> so you want to think about where, you know, where to, where to spend your money. But I would always recommend with the exterior, you know, whether you're doing stucco or siding, um, trim around the house, look at a, look at a high quality Benjamin Moore paint. For example, you know, you can look at something like Aura, which is a high end product where you're going to get really great color um, retention and, and, you know, easeability, putting it on, cleaning up, all that sort of stuff. And it, it goes on better. Um, it's going to last longer, but maybe if you're doing, you know, maybe if you're doing your brick, you're painting brick, for example, it's, a lot of it's going to be going into the surface. So maybe that's where you'd look at, uh, you know, something that isn't quite so um, expensive. Although actually saying that, when you do something like brick, if you use a high-end quality paint, you're only going to need to put two coats on. So at the end of the day, the, the paint goes on further. So it might look more expensive in the, mm-hmm. you know, in the can, but actually when you think about how much you're going to need for the whole project, it's worthwhile. And test it out. If you're, you know, test out the color, in a, um, whether it's a stain, you can get a small sample, see how you feel working with it. And uh, and you'll notice the difference. The application, <laughs> of course. You're on the ladder yourself. It's huge. Sharon, I want to ask you about the application because uh, there's a right way and, and a not-so-right way to apply paint. Mm-hmm. With, um, with application of stains, for example, it's something really important. You want to think about not just using a roller, even though it might seem easier. It's really important that the product penetrates into the wood. So you actually are better off using a brush and applying stain going with the grain, not against the grain, but sort of following the grain and making sure it's pushed in. Um, When you're doing um, vertical surfaces, maybe it's stucco or or siding. Um, Well, stucco, you could use a roller, and you could use a high-pile roller to get it in there, or even spraying. If it's a really large area, um, if if it's a do-it-yourself project, you can rent a sprayer, and that might make the job a lot easier, a lot faster for you. And again, just follow the instructions as to how much to thin or not to thin the product. So application is really important. And again, the the materials that you use there are going to make a difference in the end result. So high quality brushes and rollers, along with your high quality paints, you know, you're going to find that the perfect combination. So there may be some value in spending a little bit more more money up front. Absolutely. Now when it comes to brick and stucco, uh, these kinds of porous surfaces, do you recommend uh, on the exterior, do you recommend some kind of a primer? Um, not necessarily. If it's already previously painted, um, then you should be fine just painting over top of it. If you're having to do any patching work, then then yes. You you know, you might want to do if you have to do patching of the stucco area or um then you might want to put a bit of a primer on those areas. But for the most part, again, another reason why using a high quality paint with aura exterior, for example, you don't need to prime those spots. You can just get your two coats on and it's done. Mm, okay. um, and you won't see any flashing. So it's important. You want to think about the finish as well, not so much, just, I mean, the product is obviously critical, but do you want it to be flat? Do you want it to be, have a bit of a sheen to it? So there's soft glosses, there's flat. Like you want to think about how um, how it's going to look from a finish perspective as well. We hang on a sec? Got a couple more questions. Sure. Take a quick break. Uh, we're talking to Sharon Gretsch. She's a color and design expert for Benjamin Moore. Also uh, pretty handy when it comes to tipping on technique and we'll get into a few more questions with her when we come back on the home discovery show from news talk 980 cknw 
Ian Power back with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. We're talking to Sharon Gretsch. She's with Benjamin Moore, a color and design expert. And we appreciate your time this morning, Sharon. Thank you so much. I guess it's afternoon in Toronto now. It's afternoon. Yeah, that's okay. When it comes to uh, the exterior, the, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, and that's the accent painting. Uh, any tips on that? Or, or do you just go with what you had? Because uh, what I'm leading up to here is, let's say you've got a certain color on your house. You've lived there for five years or seven years, mm-hmm. and you decide that you don't like the color. You, you fell in love with the house, but you weren't crazy about the color. What do you do? Um, well, you definitely can, if you're going to go to the effort of, of repainting or restaining, you might as well change the color and make it something that you love. So with exteriors, you know, we have like 4,000 colors. It can be a little overwhelming <laughs> the best of times. That's it, yeah. But um, I would totally suggest looking at the smaller collections. And some of our collections, um, such as the historical color collection, um, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's a much more curated palette of colors that are really designed to work well indoors and outdoors. And certainly look at your environment, look at other homes in the area. You want to have the, an idea of the context. And usually colors will look a lot brighter outside with the sun hitting them. Mm-hmm. So this is the time where you want to go, you want to stick with those historical colors, those sort of more toned um, shades that won't, um, that won't jump out. Okay. too much you know so you can still get a wide variety you can get blues you can get greens you can get um reds but they're they're toned they work with the natural landscape out there so i think that's a good way of narrowing down and then think about you know your front door is somewhere where you can have a little bit more fun you can follow more of the trends um with that respect how important is it to blend in with your neighbors or to at least coordinate I think I think it's uh, personally I think it's nice to coordinate uh, and not just from a neighborly perspective but when you're driving down your street and you're looking at the overall area it's sort of coordinating um it's just when the it was the inside of your house you you wouldn't usually do a completely different look in the living room than you would do from the kitchen you want it to flow harmoniously so I would say you want to get an idea of the architectural styles around you your your neighboring colors and, and even landscape um you know if there's a lot of trees maybe you don't want to go green you don't want it to disappear but you still want it to, to blend rather harmoniously the overall color. Um, but again, I, I always say with the front door, it's kind of like an accent. It's an accessory, so you can have a little more fun there. Do a bright red or a blue. Yeah, I know the I'm painting really painting the front door has been very popular over the last couple of years. Is that still going as a trend? Absolutely. Um, in fact, we brought out a new paint product or a grand entrance that is formulated specifically for front doors, so it takes on... A lot more, um, a lot more abuse, <laughs> and beautiful high gloss finish. Sure. Has, you know, and, and some even some new colors that are just um, particularly for the front door. Are these exterior paints treated uh, with anti molds and fungi and all these different things? Um, absolutely, they they have to be, and that's the difference really between exterior and interior paint. They have that. They they can handle the sun. They can hand you know. So they get they've got more um, sunscreen or UV protection. Sure. In them, so yeah. Absolutely. Are there VOC restrictions on exterior paints as there is for in- interior paints? Certainly, there are, um, and I think that that's where you, um, you know, I think everyone should be concerned about that. And obviously, we have these restrictions for that reason. So you can, so all of our um, exterior paints, whether it's the Aura Grand Entrance, which is actually an Alkid, or even an Aura um, uh, completely waterborne, they're all low VOC, well below the the regulation levels. One of the things I noticed that uh, Benjamin Moore now has an interior paint that they say, or you say, uh, is certified asthma and allergy, allergy friendly. Uh, you you got to tell me about that. 
Um, I can tell you that that, that product, Benjamin Moore Natura, is, is zero VOC, zero emissions, um, virtually no odor, and it was recently certified by the Allergy and Asthma Association to be an allergy and asthma-friendly um, product. So, oh. again, a lot of that has to do with the, the odors. You don't have anything coming out of it. You can paint it, and you don't get that, that freshly painted smell that some people like. Right. <laughs> some people really don't. You don't smell anything, so you can immediately get that room back to, back to work. And is your paint completely peanut-free? Peanut. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I might have to check that one, but I'm pretty sure. I'm told that uh, that the Benjamin Moore. This is for in, indoor, but the Benjamin Moore color of the year, which I know of, you are the expert uh, for 2016, is simply white. Is that true? Yes, it is. It, it absolutely is. It's simply white. Are we getting and, away from um, the wild colors then, or what? I, I think for for us, we really felt yes. We, we've been working that way. We've been working from lots of pastels over the past four years. And it's finally at the point. You know what? We need a we need a fresh start. Everyone wants to you know hit that restart button, and uh, and white is the best way to do that. So okay. white is not too cold, not too warm. It's a it's a gorgeous white. Works with everything. Last question for you, Sharon. When it comes to painting your home, whether it be exterior or interior, is it something for the DIYer, or are you best to call in a pro? I uh, I know lots of DIYers with regards to paint. It's probably one of the easier things you can do yourself. However, when you're doing a big project or you're not comfortable, um, hire a good contractor. Um, it can make a huge difference. It can make the, the project um, much more fun by watching someone else do it. <laughs> However, if and you're more into quick it, go too. for it. <laughs> more definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been fun talking to you. I hope we can call on you again. Great. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, hopefully I'll be seeing some painted front doors on Pinterest from Vancouver soon because you guys will be ready to do it probably by next week. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually I like it when I see a house with a nicely painted front door. I think it looks really, really sharp. Thanks so much for your time. All right. Sharon Gretsch is a color and design expert for Benjamin Moore, and we'll come back in just a moment on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. And we're on Facebook. Look for the Home Discovery Show page and follow along there, if you would. Um, my name is Ian Power. Steve Seaborn, little contractor, is here. George is on the line. What's up with you, George? Uh, I am uh, have to replace my driveway, and I needed to know if you folks have a uh, reliable asphalt uh, contractor. Um, yeah, we can certainly source one for you. Um, I- if you want to give us, uh, just leave your, te- your phone number with our technical operator at the end, and we'll uh, hook you up with somebody. Yes, okay, thank you. Alrighty. Thank you, George. Nice to hear from you. Um, one of the things I wanted to do, Steve, uh, and I hope that you're prepared for this. Uh, I imagine you would be, but uh, we talked a lot last week about uh, drywall, mm-hmm. and um, there's some new numbers that have come out in terms of uh, when to look for or when you might expect to have asbestos in that drywall. Right. And, of course, it's a dangerous item to be dealing with, especially if you if you start to breathe it in. It's okay untouched, but the minute you start to scratching at it or cutting it and that kind of thing, breaking it apart, the, the it gets into the air and then gets into your lungs, and you can have some problems there. Um, in terms of disposal, I wanted to make sure that we were clear on, on what is necessary and what the procedure is. Right. So if you have uh, if you have asbestos in the drywall, and it's, it, and it's not necessarily in the drywall, there are some that has it in there because of recycling uh, before it was caught up with, but typically it's in the compound. 
if it's determined that it has asbestos in it, first of all, you're calling a professional for the remediation, for the removal, and they will take care of the disposal. The disposal is actually done out of province. It's actually shipped over to Alberta and buried in a hole. Hmm. And uh, it, because we don't have facilities here, it's not like we're unloading all our garbage on Albertans, and thank you very much, but it's we don't have the facilities here. They have it. And once it's put back in the ground, it's perfectly fine. We, we used to bury gypsum in the garden for uh, for the lye that was in it. And, and But it's just it has to be handled properly, and there's different stages of threat as to how it's handled when it's removed, whether it's a, a floor, if, if it's a, in a floor material, or if it's on the walls of the bathroom versus taking down a ceiling. And so if you have it in your home, it has to be handled by, by a licensed and certified professional remediation company with credentials, with insurance, and with, uh, with the guarantee. If I'm tackling a DIY project, how do I know if I have asbestos? Well, one of the, one of the easiest things to find out is what is the age of the house? What is the potential age of that, of that wallboard, that gypsum? Anything after 1988, the, it's been determined or set that that shall not be used in wallboard anymore. So if it has anything older than that, if your house is older than 1988, there is a potential. The way to find out for sure is to have it tested. If you have a piece of drywall around or a piece of the gypsum boards around and it has a date on it, if there's a clear date stamp on it, it is not contaminated or very unlikely that's contaminated. So the, the earmark is 1988 is when they stopped doing it. 1990 is when they said, okay, fine, we, we should have two years of clearing out all that contaminated mud. And now some, one of the local disposal companies is actually saying 1992 because they've they've discovered that in with some of the new gypsum board that's come out, it has some of that recycled material which was contaminated. So it, it really is kind of up to 1992. Okay, so if I've got a, a, a piece of drywall in, in one of my rooms and I want to cut a hole in it to put in a light switch or, or something like that, do I have to be concerned? The, the contamination is based upon uh, amount of uh, parts per million or, or the, how well you're disturbing that and your exposure. Uh, certainly, if you're going to do that one little thing, your chances of of getting methicillinoma or, or asbestosis is, is significantly less than myself, for example. I'm in it daily uh, or around it daily. But um, when in doubt, call somebody. Stay around for Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. For Steve Seaborn, little contractor, and Amila Bamji, our technical producer, my name is Ian Power. We'll be back next weekend on the Home Discovery Show to share more stories with you on News Talk 980 CKNW.